Yo, what's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I'm your host, Quentin, a.k.a. Q-Dog, a.k.a. Pop-Tart King of the South. You know the deal. <laughs> I don't even know how the Pop-Tart King of the South started. I had a debate, like, months ago to myself, because I do the podcast by myself, about the best way to cook Pop-Tarts, whether it was, like, microwave Pop-Tarts or toaster Pop-Tarts. And I'm a fan of the microwave, but I'm a fan of the microwave for many things. Rice, Pop-Tarts. I can make egg sandwiches in the microwave. Like, dude, if you can't cook that shit in the microwave, I don't want it, man, because I don't have that kind of time. But anyway, thanks for tuning in, man. There have been listens. The the Instagram page is doing good. God bless your heart. There are almost 11,000 people that follow my Instagram page, which is nuts because I'm an idiot, man. But thanks for doing it if you do. I appreciate it, and it makes things fun. And there have been some people commenting saying that they're listening to the podcast and they actually like it. So I'll be sure to mail you your bribe money <laughs> ASAP. Just send me your address. So thanks for that, man. It's a good time. So I think on today's episode, I want to talk about 70s baseball. Now, 70s baseball to me is really interesting because like I wasn't born until 83. And but some of like what I went through in the 80s and what 70s baseball was like, I think sort of aligns a little bit so I can feel 70s baseball in my heart and I like it like 70s baseball is a little grungy it's a little skanky it's a little raw and it's definitely a lot tougher which I can relate to because if if you were a kid growing up like if you grew up in the 80s or before and like no offense if you grew up in the 90s but you don't know shit (laughs) like did your mom ever kick your ass probably not because in the 90s man like you probably you know got a ride to school But, like, in my life, like, yeah, 90s kids, bro, never rode their bike to school in the pouring rain. But we did because my mom didn't want to get her hair wet. (laughs) So, like, but that's just what you had to be, man. Like, if 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 you were born in the 80s or before, you just, you had to be tough. You know what I mean? Like... There were just, um, you know, like one time, for example, listen to this. So my, uh, my dad, right? Um, well, okay. Let me rewind. Okay. So my family and I, we grew up in the country, right? And we had a, we had a double wide on a big ass piece of land, like some of the best living. You guys know my passion for trailer life. I'm this close, this close from talking my wife into putting a double wide on a big piece of land. And when I say this close, I'm talking for me to fucking Mars, right? She's not ever going to agree to it. But you've, my passion for trailer living is the best. You can pee in the yard. You can leave your Christmas lights up all year round. You can have a weight bench in the front yard. Who doesn't like to be outside, right? Like, it's the best life. But um, we moved into town when I was like five, uh, four years old, right? So, but my, uh, my uncle and most of my family still lived out in the country. So my dad, we'd go out there with my dad. Anytime my dad would go to my Uncle Doug's, you know, his little brother, or maybe a little brother, yeah, we... Um, my brother and I would often go with him, right? Because he had like four wheelers and shit. Or really, because it was the 80s, he had three wheelers, right? So we, <laughs> so crazy. So we're out there one day, right? And there was one three wheeler. So my, my brother and I are taking turns, right? And I'm probably five at best. Like, I don't have any sense. I can barely ride a fucking bike. But we're just taking turns riding the four wheeler. It's a big old field. You can't really do anything wrong with it. But that's, that sort of speaks to the supervision of parents and kids back in the day. Parents didn't really give a shit. They were just like, yeah, take the four-wheeler and go, right? Kids today, it's like, put on your helmet and put on your elbow pads. Like, I never wore a pad of anything in my life. It's like, whatever, dude. So we, uh, so we're riding the four-wheelers, man, and we're taking turns, right? So I get off the four-wheeler and I give it to my brother. Now, 
in the meantime, you just sort of have to like do stuff that a kid does, right? Dig holes, like go get limbs and shit, like whatever, right? So I'm just like running around the field and my brother's coming through on the three-wheeler and he's really ripping ass, man. He's riding fast. And we get crossed up and he hits me. <laughs> he runs me over with the fucking four-wheeler. And I don't mean like he clipped the side of me. Like this motherfucker ran over my body <laughs> on the three-wheeler. Ran over my body, right? And I'm I'm fine, right? Like I'm like a little shaken up, but like I'm not crying or anything. Like I get back up and my dad sees it, man. And my dad, my dad is a country boy through and through. Like this motherfucker, when he was 12. For like two weeks straight, he was coughing up blood and couldn't, could barely swallow anything but water, right? Like just horrendous. And it turns out he found out like 40 years later that those were his tonsils dissolving in his mouth, right? And that's how he got it. That he did not, he, his tonsils were swollen and basically they dissolved in his mouth and he coughed up blood for weeks at a time, right? Because he said when you grew up, you you didn't go to the doctor. You either got better or you died, right? Like they had a fucking outhouse out back. So these guys were tough and as country as it gets, right? Scary guy in his prime, dude, because um he pop you. You know what I mean? And you wanted no part of that. So after my brother flattens me like a fucking pancake on the three-wheeler, that son of a bitch, my dad's walking over. And I'm looking at my dad. He's mad. I look at my brother and I smirk at him because I said, listen, this motherfucker. I said, you're about to get your ass kicked, motherfucker. I didn't say it because I didn't cuss at the time. I didn't start cussing until like fifth grade on the playground. I remember when I learned to cuss, man. It was one of the, yeah, I was a hard ass. <laughs> if you cussed in grade school, you were so legit. But anyway, so my dad's walking over. And I'm looking at my brother like, you're fucked, right? So I'm staring at my brother. All of a sudden, my dad yanks me up and starts kicking my ass. And he goes, get out of the way next time. So I'm sitting on the ground. I just got my ass beat by my dad while I just got ran over by the three-wheeler. And I'm just like, well, that's how shit goes, man. And that's just what you had to be when you were an 80s kid, man. Like, things just didn't make sense. And you had to be tough, right? Those were just the things. But I'll tell you this, man. That three-wheeler, dude, we we ended up bringing a three-wheeler into town after we'd been into town for a little bit. And we got a three-wheeler because during summer vacation, my this is <laughs> during summer vacation, my mom and like on Mondays, right? She would clean house every Monday. And she had a really clean house. She had like white carpet, white blinds, like traditional, like that, that 80s style, right? And so first thing in the morning at like 8 a.m., she would lock us out of the house. Lock us out of the house with all of our shit. She'd be like, go play baseball, go play or whatever. So we would be locked out of the house, couldn't get in. She would physically lock the doors. It wasn't just like one of those things that was like, go play with your friends outside. I got a clean house. She physically locked the doors. You could not get in anything whatsoever aside from like gushing blood from your head, which I'm not even sure if that would get you back in the house. You just weren't coming in the fucking house. It was not going to happen, right? And so we would just be outside locked out if we needed a drink. We would, we would drink it out of the water hose. Those were the rules. That's why to this day, like, I don't trust anything but tap water. I think bottled water is a scam. I don't know what they're putting in it. Are they controlling our mind? You heard me talk about the truck driver a few episodes ago. I prefer tap water. I prefer water out of a hose because that's how you drink it in prison and if you're a kid in my house growing up, right? So we would just be locked out of the house with, um, and you know, we would just do whatever we had to do, right? There were no screens, Right back in my day, you didn't have phones to like look stuff up. 
you were basically dick holes, light shit on fire, and cruise the three-wheeler around, and that was the gist of it. My mom would literally lock us out of the house and be like, go ride the three-wheeler around the block, which sounds so dangerous, but that's what we would do, man, and that was the living. It didn't matter, but yeah, lighting stuff on fire was like legit, and what I'm saying is kids don't do that sort of shit anymore, right? If I had a kid that was old enough right now, and I locked her out of the house and said, you can't come in all day if you need a drink, drink it out of the water hose. I'll I'll give you some I'll give you a ham sandwich at noon. I'll slide it under the door and just go ride the three-wheeler around. No helmet, no pads, nothing. I would be arrested first and foremost. They will call child and family services and just let it rip, right? And but back in the day, man, it was just par for the course. And damn, wasn't it fucking fun? Like we would just we would ride our bikes as far away from the house as we could because we thought it was so cool, right? We would sometimes stop and buy, like, candy cigarettes. Dude, yeah, you, did you guys ever do candy? How do you say this? Did you ever do candy cigarettes? Yo, King's candy cigarettes? Damn, man, they were my fucking jam. But candy cigarettes were legit, man. So look at me now riding the three-wheeler up the road about 30 miles an hour with a candy cigarette hanging out of my mouth. Like, those were the times, and that's how I feel about 70s baseballs, the rules, they were just so much, they were so different in the 70s. Like, takeout slides at second base weren't weren't even slides. They were like a death sentence for the second baseman. Like, you might need to think about life after the game if you're a second baseman in the 70s because you may need one of those cool motorized wheelchairs that Corey Haim had in Silver Bullet because they weren't sliding into second base to, like, take you out. They were charging into second base to end your life. Hal McRae, listen, Hal McRae in the 77 ALCS went into second base so hard he was damn near in center field he actually stepped on the bag and then dropped like he didn't even fucking slide you can't even call it a takeout slides like a takeout murder he steps on the bag keeps running drops his shoulder and absolutely levels the guy on second base if it was a hit in the NFL today it's a 15-yard penalty, an automatic first out, and probably a $50,000 fine. So fucking hard. And one time in the 72 World Series, it that was the, um, okay, so the 77 ALCS, I think, was the Royals and the Yankees, because Hal McRae was a Royal in 77. There you go. And then in 72, Hal McRae was with the Oakland Athletics, and the Oakland Athletics went to the World Series in 72 and swept the Reds. Huge shocker. Big red machine, man. Because I think 71, 72, 73 was the uh, the repeat, I think, of the A's. I could be off on a year on that. I'll figure it out because we are talking about 70s baseball on here. Fucking Hal McRae's coming into second base. He actually times it. They call it a rolling block. That's what the announcers were calling these hits. Rolling blocks and forearm shivers. So the second baseman gets the ball. And Hal McRae stutter steps because he's going to time his rolling block. So the second baseman gets it. Hal McRae stutter steps, drops his shoulder, and absolutely plows the second baseman. And what's even crazier is and on that, I don't know if that was Joe Rudy. I don't know who who was I don't know who the second baseman was for the 72 A's. I feel like Joe Rudy might have been a second baseman. Was that his name? Here, let me check real quick. 
Now, I think Joe Rudy was a first baseman. I'll have to get back to you on that. But after the play, Hal McRae and the second baseman, they, like, shake hands and get up. And it's just all good. And those were the rules in the 70s, man. But listen, and the 77 ALCS, whoever Hal plowed into, Oh, shit, it might have been Willie Randolph, actually. Willie Randolph, was he He might have been a second baseman for the um, for the Yankees in 72. Here, let me check that real quick, and I'll tell you. Because I don't honestly I, – I don't have a lot of this stuff memorized. You know, having a kid, your memory sort of goes to shit. Like, sometimes I feel like I have for real CTE. Nope. In 77, Willie Randolph was a Yankee. And damn, he was a second baseman. So I think Hal McCray plowed Willie Randolph possibly – um, but it might have been Greg Nettles because he may have been over there to turn the play. I'm not too sure. But Willie was argued and he was super pissed, right? So after Willie Randolph absolutely demolishes whoever's on second base for the Yankees in the 77 ALCS, it's the Yankees that are having to argue that they think Willie Randolph was out of the base path because I'm not exaggerating to you when he stepped on the base and kept running towards like left center to murder the second baseman. And so the Yankees are there arguing. Hal gets up and he's like, oh, no, I'm just playing the game. And the umps, man, dude, the umps in the 70s were dressed like, I don't know, they were extras on the Godfather, man. It's like they have turtlenecks and like these these like lavender colored suits or some shit. Like it is just the wild. Like, I don't know. They might be going to confessional or a bar mitzvah. They're dressed really weird, man. Sort of like the guy that does the exorcism on the exorcist, right? Like just what is going on here, father umpire. But dude, and so they're actually having to argue. Meanwhile, no one cares about the health of the second baseman. Will he be Corey Hamoff silver bullet with an awesome wheelchair with a motor in it? I'm not too sure, but Hal McCray did his best, dude. Just gritty, man. Like, you remember the, uh, what all-star game was it when Pete Rose plowed Ray Fossey and, like, derailed his career? Like, Ray kept playing. It might have been actually... The 71 All-Star game where Pete Rose slammed into Ray Fossey. He separated Ray's shoulder because I think in 72, Ray Fossey was traded to the Oakland Athletics and won a World Series with them in 72 and 73. And Ray Fossey was a damn good catcher. And obviously, that being an exhibition game, um, Pete plowed through Ray and no one really thought twice about it because, that again, like that's just how you play baseball. Hold on. Um, no, that might have been the 72 All-Star game because um, 73 and 74, Ray Fossey was an Oakland Athletic. So that 72 World Series that I just referred to where Hal McRae plowed through the second baseman, they swept the Big Red Machine in four games that year. And I believe that was a surprising victory because there's a Big Red Machine, right? Like loaded. And that was the first of the three-peat for the Oakland Athletics in... So the Oakland A's won a World Series in 72, 73, 74. I think the World Series winners in 1970, those were the Baltimore Orioles with the uh, human vacuum of Brooks Robinson at third base, best defensive third baseman that's ever existed on the planet Earth. And then 71, the Pittsburgh Pirates won the World Series, and that was Roberto Clemente, Willie Stargell, and the crew. Yeah, the 1971 Pittsburgh Pirates, they had Danny Murtaugh, who's one of the coolest, best managers ever in the history of the game. This motherfucker would put so much red man chaw in his mouth. It looked like he had a baseball in his mouth. Like, dude, a connoisseur of beech nut, if I don't say so myself. Yeah, those 71 Pittsburgh Pirates had Willie Stargell. Now, Willie Stargell was 31, and then when they won in 79, the Pirates, Willie Stargell 
was fully into Pops at that point, the man, and he also led that team as well, still at first base. But Roberto Clemente was age 36 on this 1971 Pirates team. Listen to this. At the age of 36, this is Roberto Clemente. 36 years old, again, let me emphasize this, because I'm 37 and I get out of breath climbing up the stairs, right? I'm a fresh 37, but, you know, whatever, man. That's how things go. It, um, Roberto Clemente batted 341 with a 370 on base and slugged 502 at the age of 36. Roberto Clemente, one of my favorite players of the 70s. Now, he... um. In 1972 was his last season because then in the offseason of 72, I think it was maybe New Year's Eve, sometime between Christmas and New Year's Day, he was actually flying medical supplies to maybe Nicaragua because what had happened was he was putting up a lot of his money to get supplies sent there. But it turns out, I think the folks that were organizing that were like taking his money and the supplies weren't really getting there. So Roberto Clemente was like, well, my supply's not getting there. Then I'm going to get on the plane and I'm going to make sure this stuff gets there. And they loaded the plane up so heavy it didn't make it. And the plane crashed in the ocean. And that would have been, oh, I could tell you right now, December. So it was New Year's Eve. They took flight of that. And he was only 38 years old. And that was at the tail end of the last day of the year, 1972. Now, 1972, at the age of 37, Roberto Clemente still batted 312 with a 356 on base percentage. This guy was like a fine wine. Like where like like players like Rob Deere, maybe like a fine Milwaukee's best, right? Or Keystone Light that you just get hammered on and throw up. Roberto Clemente was like a fine-aged whiskey in an oak barrel. He was getting older and staying so good. And you got a guy that was 37 years old. And folks always talk about what-if stories, right? We've got our Bo Jacksons and our Eric Davis and our J.R. Richards. But Roberto Clemente was such, he was such a sweetheart, a loving guy who literally gave his life for the cause, man, to help others. He didn't have to get on that plane. If you're a guy who's an 18-year veteran of MLB, you got two World Series under your title, you're just living the comfy life, it's probably pretty easy to sit on your ass at home and cash it in, right? But to have that, to get on that plane and it not happen, and you not make it back, that's a selfless guy right there because I figure the richer a person gets, the more acclaimed someone gets, the more they might just live in their world and maybe not do as much for others. But it didn't phase him, man. And I'm, you know, not to diminish what he did, you know, on that plane and, you know, the extra efforts he gave to other human beings, but he could have played till he was probably 42 years old. I mean, he racked up. 94.8 wins above replacement. Now, like, I'm not a heavy stat guy, but I only use that number to compare Roberto Clemente to today's stars, and his numbers were just through the roof, right? I mean, multiple seasons where, you know, seven, eight, nine wins above replacement, these are just huge numbers. Like, at the age of 36, from a win above replacement standpoint, he's a performance just, you know, a little bit less than what Mike Trout is doing right now as far as you're, if you're looking at that number. Huge stuff. Amazing man and hell of a ball player. 
But listen, I'm not going to cover too much of Roberto Clemente because I think I did that maybe four or five episodes ago. And if you haven't listened to it, you'd have to dig it in somewhere because I think it's in the title. But I go into like how he was drafted, how the Pirates got him from the Dodgers, like all kinds of wild stuff. It's a hell of a story, man. But listen, to get back to the 70s, dude, one of my favorite things about the 70s is the style. The style of the 70s ball player. Like, if you didn't have long hair and a primo mustache, like, just get out of here, dude. Like, Al Roboski, him himself, said that he couldn't pitch as well unless he had, like, a full beard on. That was just his thing. Like, Al Roboski said he used his beard to intimidate players. And, boy, these beards were intimidating. Like, every baseball player... Looked like they were 45 years old, for one. Looked like they were in a Western movie. They could have played Wyatt Earp in Tombstone, one of the best movies ever. You're talking long sideburns. Like, every one of these guys looked like they were going to leave the game in their Chevy Camaro, right? 350 in it, glass packs, no catalytic converters, just fucking pumping. Boom, 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 boom. They got a six or a Stroh's in the center console because back in the 70s, you could drive and have a beer. No one really cared if the cops pulled you over. They would just tell you to be safe, right? And like you would be listening to Black Sabbath on the eight track player, you know, get a little bit of Iron Man in there. Good stuff, dude. You're talking like Fu Manchu's, Big beards, handlebar mustache, like Gorman Thomas. Dude, Gorman Thomas had such a badass Fu Manchu. He just looked like he had a freezer full of deer sausage and drove a Chevy pickup with no catalytic converter. I'm talking true duels, man. That was the man. And then also jewelry started to become a thing, man. Dave Parker was one of the first dudes ever to wear an earring and he had the one the one solo earring he didn't have both earrings pierced he had one earring pierced and he also he also wore the star of david now the star of david is a jewish sign but dave parker wasn't jewish but he was wearing the star of david so one day a reporter asked him they said hey cobra man and cobra's like what up and they're like cobra why do you wear the star of david are you jewish and he goes no i'm not jewish he goes, I wear the star of David because my name's David and I'm a star. That was the swag that Dave Parker had. And the single earring, dude, the single earring right up there with the mustache will bring you the ultimate performance in your life on the field, in the weight room, you name it, man. And Dave Parker had, I mean, think of other guys that had a single earring. Dave Parker, Barry Bonds. Um, you know, those are the only two I can think of right now, but there got to be plenty more. Ruben Sierra rocked a solo earring for a while. I had a solo earring in fifth grade. My mom was a hairdresser, and she pierced my ear, and I had a dangly cross just like Barry Bonds, and I felt fucking good. I went to school, and I kicked ass at kickball. You better believe it even playing kickball in grade school. Yo, it was the fun, but also, dude, Jesus, man, the fans, the fans in the stands of baseball games Dude, they were out of their minds. I don't know how all these people didn't even get arrested. They would routinely run on the field, naked, clothed, somewhere in between. Folks were lighting fireworks in the stands, getting completely hammered, man. It's like fans at today's game. Like, if you go to a baseball game today, they've got food trucks. You could get, like, some organic hummus with a flatbread, get a craft beer with hints of strawberry. But in the 70s? No fucking way. Baseball fans, they were smoking they were smoking Winston cigarettes in the stands, getting loaded on Schlitz, bringing in some Thunderbird, which is Thunderbird's this really old like wine type drink. Like, have you guys ever had Boone's Farm? We used to, dude, get so hammered. And like, 
I mean, I still do, but when I was like in high school, man, like I worked at Walmart in high school and I was a cart pusher. I think I made like five fifty an hour, but no matter what, like when the work, when school started on a Monday and you knew you were going to get to Friday, you had five days to get as much booze as you could with the little bit of money that you had, right? Because the goal when you're, the goal when you're 16 back in the day, again, kids, no fan. I love to play video games. I got a Nintendo and a Sega, but kids these days, they just sit at house and they don't want to go outside and they want to play video games all day. Well, me during my week when I was that age, it was like, I have to get as much booze as I can, and this is all the money I have, right? So I would buy, when I was feeling fancy, I would get Mickey's. Mickey's was like a six-pack of like, I don't know, it came in a green bottle, and I would buy Mickey's sometimes, but mostly you would pretty much have to get Keystone Light because you could get Keystone Light for cheap, and Boone's Farm. Now, Boone's Farm was like this big jug of just wine. Like, it was like... It wasn't like Franzi or anything like that. Like, it didn't come in a box, but it just came in a big-ass bottle for probably, like, $4.99. So then when Friday comes around, you look, and you've got, like, 25 bucks, and it's like, well, give me a 24-pack of Keystone Light and three Boone's Farms, right? And then that's what you have, right? And then you would just get hammered like it was your job, dude. It was like, I got this booze. I got to drink it as fast as I can. And like, that was just it, and that's that right there. It's how fans were in the 1970s. It was just like, who's got the best deal on beer? Like Cincinnati, this, the, the Cleveland Indians did a 10-cent beer night one night. The, the Cleveland Indians sold beers for 65 cents a pop, and you could get a 12-ounce beer. Well, they decided to have a promotion and sell beers for 10 cents, which was essentially buy one, get five free. And I'm going to cover that on this episode. And they got fucking hammered, dude. And that's how the 70s were, man. Like, I classify 70s baseball as sort of like discovering drugs, right? Like, I remember when I started smoking weed and I would come home at like five in the afternoon and just like eat supper with my family, like eat half a box of fish sticks and mac and cheese. And like, things were just so wild. Like, that's what 70s baseball was like when you discovered weed and alcohol as a kid and you just went crazy, right? That 70s baseball, 70s baseball was when MLB discovered, oh, let's get fucked up. <laughs> Okay, listen, so here's the scoop on 10-cent beer night, right? It was in 1974, right? It was on, what's funny about 10-cent beer night is it was on a Tuesday. <laughs> so, like, you would think, like, if you're going to do a beer promotion, like, I mean, maybe do it on a Friday because how many people actually drink on a Tuesday? Well, in this particular instance, about 47,000 people drank on a Tuesday, right? So fucking awesome. And the gist was they were playing the Rangers, right? And what really fucked up is when this 10-cent beer night happened, the week before the Indians and the Rangers got in this huge, huge fight, right? Oh, I have to rewind that number. 25,000 people were getting hammered on a Tuesday night for 10 cent beer. Still a lot of people to get drunk because all those people got to drive home. But like I said, in the seventies, you could drink when you drive. And if a cop pulled you over, it was like, we'll follow you home. But the altercation now, six days before 10 cent beer night, the name 
you want to pay attention to in this is Lenny Randall. He was a Texas Ranger, and the guy was completely <laughs> crazy, man. He was a first-round draft pick of the Senators. He was from Compton, you know, just like Easy e and Dr. Dre and C.T. Fletcher, so you know the motherfucker can fight. He lost his job one time. He lost his starting job at second base one time and beat his coach up, man. <laughs> like, just things aren't good for the guy, okay? And he was sort of the one that instigated this whole thing, right? Uh, but what's funny about Lenny Randles, he actually became the first player to leave Major League Baseball and go play in Italy. <laughs> and he went to Italy and hit the longest home run ever in Italy baseball history and won a batting title, batting 477. Like, I think I might go play baseball in Italy right now. I mean, with COVID, I don't know that you could, but hell, if Lenny Randall could bat 477, I could probably bat 280, right? <laughs> I, you know, though, you know, I have the dream of playing in an adult baseball league, getting steroided out of my mind and just dominating. Like I still want to do it. And I'm about to order right now. It's in my cart, man, that baseball that tells you how hard you can throw, because I swear to God, if I hit 90, I'm all in. And I don't know if I could or couldn't, but we're, we're about to find out. I swear. So here's what happens. So this was the week before in the bottom of the fourth inning, and since they were in Texas, the uh, the Rangers were up to bat, right? So a guy named Tom Grieve, he takes a walk. Lenny Randall's up. Lenny Randall gets a single. So you got two runners on base now. The next guy, he hits a double play ball to the Indians' third baseman. His name is John Lowenstein. John steps on the bag, gets the first out, throws the ball to his second baseman, but... You got Lenny Randall doing his best Hal McRae impression, hard slide in the second base. There's a guy named Jack Brohammer, literally the best name ever, Brohammer. He, he's playing second base, and that's what Lenny Randall does. He hammers that bro, right? Breaks up the play. And as you can see, the Indians are pissed, man, because he hit Jack pretty hard. So the bottom of the eighth inning comes. The Indians got a pitcher, a guy named Milt, Milt Wilcox, not Milt Thompson, Milt Wilcox. He throws a ball behind Lenny Randall's legs. He tries to hit Lenny, but Lenny's a fast guy, so Lenny doesn't take the hit. So Milt doesn't try to hit him again, right? Because he's embarrassed that he missed him, right? Because if he misses him a second time, it's not good. So he throws to Lenny, and Lenny lays down a bunt. Now, Lenny's left-handed, so Lenny does what I call a drag bunt because he's left-handed. He starts to run before he bunts the ball. Now, a drag bunt and a push bunt are more debatable than a presidential election because on multiple occasions, I've posted what's I've, I've posted a play and asked folks if it's a drag bunt or a push bunt, and people can't get it right. But I firmly believe if it's a left-handed batter who starts to run before he bunts and continues to run as he bunts and he's a left-hander, I believe that's a drag bunt. I'll die on the hill or I'll die of eating too many Pop-Tarts. But okay, so here's what happens. Lenny, Lenny does a drag bunt. Perfect fucking drag bunt. Milt comes over to field the ball. He gets the ball because the ball's down the first baseline and he thinks, I got the ball. I'm going to tag Lenny. Lenny gives him the rolling block. Lenny gives him the forearm shiver. Lenny basically gives him a fucking Goldberg spear, knocks him down, and everybody clears the bases, right? You got the guy playing first, a guy named John Ellis. He comes over, punches Lenny immediately, benches empty the whole nine, man. They were like fans. Like, it was getting wild. Like, fans... 
they were getting like they were throwing out food and beer. Dave Duncan, you know Dave Duncan, right? He was the um, wasn't Dave Duncan the pitching coach for the St. Louis Cardinals when they went in the World Series, and he had a kid like Chris Duncan, right? That was his name, I believe. And well, that's who it was. So Dave Duncan was a catcher, and they had to hold him back because Dave Duncan was trying to pull a Ron Artest, and he was going to go in the stands and start kicking fans' ass. And that's one of the things about 70s baseball is it wasn't a thing for fans to be like, fuck you, and players want to go fight the fans. Like, there was a big, and I think this brawl was in the 80s, so I won't cover it, but a big 80s brawl with the Braves and the Padres with, like, Pascal Perez and a bunch of other crazy guys where fans were running onto the field fighting players. Players were, like, beating them up. Like, it was wild, and that's how it was. Like, fans, I swear to God, all the time just would run onto the field, right? When Hank Aaron... In the 70s, I don't know the exact year off the top of my head, but Hank Aaron in the 70s actually broke Babe Ruth's record. And those guys that just ran on the field and congratulated him, like nobody really cared that that happened, right? But today, if you run on the field, you know, like, was it last year or two years ago when all those cute girls were running on the field and kissing Cody Bellinger and they were getting fucking laid out and tackled? Like, if you're a dude and you run on the field now, you're getting tasered, maced, and you're for sure going to get put in the Million Dollar Dream. And they're going to choke your ass out, right? So that's how it was, right? Now, which is crazy is no players from any team were ejected. Lenny Randall, Dex Milt, doesn't get ejected from the game. Nobody gets ejected from the game. Dave Duncan tried to go into the stands. He didn't get ejected from the game. And that's also a thing. All of these hard plays in the 70s, these fights, these mount charge. Nobody gets ejected. When Nolan Ryan hit Robin Ventura and beat him up, he didn't get ejected. Robin got ejected. Would you remember the story at the beginning of this where I said my brother hit me with a four-wheeler and my dad beat me for it? That's what happened with Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan hits Robin with the pitch. Robin comes out, gets his ass kicked, and then he gets ejected, right? And that was it in the 70s. So nothing, nothing ever happened, right? So after the game, Billy Martin was managing the Rangers, and one of the reporters was like, hey, you better take your armor to Cleveland. And Martin's like, I don't really care about going to Cleveland next week because they don't have any fans. And hence, that's where we get 10-cent beer night because nobody was coming to these Indians games, man, at all. But on a 10-cent beer night, you bet your ass we're going to the game. Listen, okay, here are the rules of 10-cent beer night. They're so phenomenal. Number one, Stroh's beer. Stroh's is on tap right now. You're getting 12 fluid ounces of it in a cup. It's going to be a plastic cup. Thank God they're not handing out glass bottles. Now, Stroh's is about a three-point-something alcohol by volume beer. Now, what's dangerous about that, if you're a beer drinker like myself whose liver sort of trains itself like Rocky and Rocky Four, because you're really going to batter it, some of my worst, drunkest, funnest nights have been on the beer of the low alcohol by volume variety. I don't know what it is about a cheap beer with a low volume. It's just like you know it's cheap, so you can afford a lot of them, and you can drink a lot of them because the alcohol by volume is low. It's sort of like having a money tree, right? It's just an endless amount because it's affordable, and it's a lighter beer, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, because like a craft beer, like if I drink a craft beer at like 7%, 
one of those beers and I'm going to lay in bed, watch CSI and go to bed. Like game fucking over, right, for me. But the 3.2% beers are invigorating, man. It's like drinking a Gatorade where you're just like, let's go. You know what I mean? And that's what it was like for these fans. They all got the 3.2% strokes and were like, let's go, right? And the limit, right? So you know if you're going to do a big beer promotion like this, there's got to be a limit, right? Well, first and foremost, the the a normal beer costs 65 cents in 1974, but you're getting it for 10 cents, which is essentially buy one beer, get five free. <laughs> like what the fuck? That's why 25 over 25,000 people came out to the game, which is double what they were expecting because if you remember Billy Martin, Billy Martin wasn't scared because he was like, they ain't got no fans. They suck. Well, <laughs> at 10 cent beers, you're pretty good. So the limit, the limit, I can't even believe I'm saying this. The limit was like, if I went to go buy a 10 cent beer, the limit was I could only buy six at a time, but there was no limit on how many times I could come to the counter. Now, why even have a limit if it's like, we'll sell you this, but you can only buy six at a time. And if you want more, you got to come back. Seriously, you're going to sell me six beers on the spots? That's the buy one, get five for free. So there's no doubt that the fans became heavily intoxicated and it culminated in a riot by the end of the night. Because that's a lot of beer that's basically free, right? So here's what happened. Now, the Indians had done this before. They had a nickel beer day in 71. Nothing bad happened, man. But shit got a little crazy, and it got crazy early on. So the Rangers, they got out to a quick 5-1 to one lead. Now, the fans, they were already pissed, man. Because again, in the 70s, you fight with your team. You'll run on the field. Who really cares? How bad could a taser hurt, right? So... There's a guy on the Cleveland Indians named Leron Lee. He hits a line drive back to Fergie Jenkins. Fergie Jenkins at this point was already a ranger. Hit him right in the stomach. Fergie goes to the ground. The fans are like, hit him, hit him, hit him, hit him. And then this broad runs on the field, shows her tits to everybody. And then like the next inning, there's a guy that's like going at like making a play at second grieve Tom grieve right the guy I mentioned before he's making he just hits a home run Tom grieve just hits a home run and after the broad came out and showed her boobs to everybody this dude runs out onto the field sprints like Usain fucking bolt sprints onto the field buck naked little wiener flapping in the air right could you imagine and dives right in to second base on a full ass sprint completely naked now that's again you can buy six beers at a time and there's no limit to how many times you could come up so that's literally probably by like the fifth inning this guy's so hammered he thinks it's a good idea to take all of his clothes off and just <laughs> run full sprint naked onto the field and just dive into second base, right? Like how in his head, how did he figure that was going to turn out, right? Like at that point, you just have to tell your friends, like, get me bail money. I feel really good about this decision. I think it's going to turn out okay. But then that's not even it. The very next inning. Now, this is crazy. The very next inning, these two guys run into the outfield. They jump out of the bleachers. They run into the outfield and they moon all the fans, right? These two guys moon all the fans. But what's interesting about these guys 
is it was a father and son duo that jumped out of the bleachers right after the guy sprinted naked on the field and ran out. Now, how does that start, right? Like, I've been to a baseball game with my dad before. We'll get a burger beforehand. You know, like, me and him went to Bush Stadium a couple years ago. You know, we got a burger. We both had a Budweiser, you know, diesel. And then, you know, watch the game on the field. And it was like a nostalgic thing to be with my dad. Now, how fucking drunk would we have had to gotten before I looked at my dad and say, hey, man, you want to moon all these motherfuckers? And him go, yeah, I do. <laughs> like at that point, those guys had to have between the two of them a solid 60 beers between them. Well, you got to figure if you could buy six beers at a time, you know, you're going up there four times. That's 24 beers a person times two. That's 48 beers, man. Mathematic genius over here, guy. And that was it. And then Dude, it wasn't much after that. Like, fans were just running on the field. Mike Hargrove, you know Mike Hargrove, right? He was uh, playing first base. <laughs> Mike Hargrove was the, was Mike Hargrove the Indians coach in 97 when they lost? And then maybe in 95 when they lost. I don't remember. Mike Hargrove, legend, dude. He's playing first base and stuff gets wild. And you're close. If you're playing first base, you're close to the stands, right? So fans are throwing hot dogs at him. They're spitting on him. And at one point... Somebody throws an empty gallon jug of Thunderbird at him. Thunderbird's that cheap flavored wine I was telling you about. Now, a full gallon of it. So this this is the shit you, this is 70s baseball, right? 10 cent beer night. Who in the hell, who comes out to 10 cent beer night and is like, yeah, I got three bucks. We'll go to 10 cent beer night. Oh, and uh, by the way, I got two gallon jugs of Thunderbird. <laughs> like, let's go. Like, yeah. Like, that was it. Just hammering out Thunderbird. Thunderbird is just a drink that you're not walking away from, right? If you're drinking Thunderbird, you've, you've hit rock bottom in your life at this point. Things just can't get any worse for you. Just the cheapest, the cheapest of booze, man. Instant headache. And yeah, you're probably going to be somewhere, not know how you got there, and wake up the next morning probably completely naked, face down in an alley, just um, you know, wondering about all the decisions you've made in your life. That's Thunderbird right there for you. And then after that happened, though, man, things just went crazy, dude. Fans are running into the stands. They got knives and chains. They're making like shanks out of the seats that they're sitting in. All the players literally at this point are fighting the fans. They finally get off of the field and they have they're hiding they're hiding from the fans because you know this isn't really looking good for them and they're all trying to protect themselves so at the beginning of the game the the rangers and the indians don't like each other but at the end of the game they're actually having to fight with each other these fans dude anything they can get they somehow like they're fans that have steel chairs and they're trying to hit players with the steel chair just like it's the WWF like it's unbelievable so all the players finally got to the um you know where it was free in the clubhouse or whatever and they they sneak out of the stadium obviously so the Indians actually escorted the Rangers onto their team bus because it was the fans that were really after the Rangers and the Rangers players that needed protection right and it was sort of when the game was over a lot of like the announcers and a lot of folks were like blaming the the security guards because the security guards like the security guards and the umpires like couldn't they lost control of the game and that's what they were blaming it on but it turned out everything was cleared up right so after the game Lee McPhail he was the American League president and after the game he goes well 
there was no question that beer played a part in this, right? And I'm like, yeah, no kidding, right? So then, July 18th, Jesus, man, Cleveland did another 10-cent beer night on July 18th that attracted 41,000 fans because you know at the time that good, more people are going to come out. But this time, they limited it to two cups per person. <laughs> and that was it, man. Lesson learned, dude. 70s, what a crazy time. Hey, but listen, though, one of the things I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast when I was talking about older generations, right, is music, right? How we used to listen to music, right? Folks, today, me included, because I have a cell phone, if I want to listen to Easy e or Five Finger Death Punch or Sammy Kershaw, I could just bring it up on my phone. There's no work involved in it. But older music, like in the 70s and 80s, Listen, you had to work for it, right? If if you wanted to record a song on the radio, you had to put your cassette in and then hold your finger by the pause and play button and just wait for that track to come in. Or if you wanted to watch, you know, the music video for Red Hot Chili Peppers Under the Bridge and watch Anthony Kiedis muscled up, you know, running with no shirt on with the Native American tattoo, you would have to sit by the TV and just wait for that to come on, man. And that's, I sort of miss that sort of thing, man. I remember going to the mall on a Friday night, you know, because you had to go walk the mall on a Friday night. That's where the girls were, man. If you were ever going to get anywhere with the opposite sex, you better have mom take you to the mall at 7 o'clock and pick you up at 9 because you don't want to be at the mall too early. You look like an idiot if you're there for three hours. And I remember going to this place called NRM, which was the music store. That's what we had. And I remember going to buy Bone Thugs and Harmony, The Chronic. I remember buying Doggy Style. <laughs> like, dude, it was such good stuff, dude. And... I, I, yeah, I thought of that because Lenny Randall's from Compton. I was like, oh, man, music, dude. Yeah, man, working for music, dude, I think is awesome. I bought a, actually a Sanyo cassette player, the same one I had, like in 1995 or something like that. And it was a CD on top and cassette on the bottom. Well, now, I, listen, I remember buying cassettes, and that's all you could get. So that Sanyo that I bought, I only bought it because I had it before. And granted, I had it in 95, but I bought it because it had the CD and cassette because I do like listening to CDs as well because, you know, if it's scratched, I still like, I ordered like a bunch of used Nirvana CDs on eBay and some of them came a little scuffed. So like I got to like rub them on my shirt, try to get it to play. And through this, remember the struggle of trying to play a CD because you had a vent visor in your car and you would just jam the CDs up in there because you would be in a rush to maybe get to your Jodeci CD because, um, you know, you were maybe going to pick up a girl in your car or whatever. Like, yeah, so you have to, like, rub it on your shirt to try to get it to play and, like, just play one more time, one more time, dude. I love it, dude. But cassettes were awesome to play, too, because you play it, then you'd have to rewind it and then get like to the beginning of that exact song or whatever. But I remember going to buy singles on cassette, like Skilo, I Wish, uh, Shaggy, Boombastic, Bone Thugs and Harmony, First of the Month. I remember Gangsta's Paradise, Coolio. I remember buying all those on a cassette single, man. And they would have parental advisories on them. And just like the old school parenting I talked about, my mom didn't care if I had a parental advisory. She's like, yeah, get what you want. Just shut up. <laughs> right. And, but that is like, I had to mention before I got off the music thing, man, because listening to music on cassettes and CDs, or, you know, if you had an eight track player, because I didn't hit that. Right. Cause when I started listening to my own music, I mean, cause I was born in 83. So, I mean, if I was five years old, I had a, I had a Fisher price Brown, Fisher Price cassette player. So I never owned anything before cassette. 
But uh, yeah, man, I thought I just realized that when I mentioned Lenny Randall, I was like, oh, dude, music so different, dude. But you can still get a lot of that stuff. This Sanyo CD cassette player I bought, dude, one of my best purchases, man. I love listening to it. Yeah, scuffing the CDs, trying to find you know the right song on a cassette. I also bought a Doors Greatest Hits cassette on eBay. Super phenomenal purchase. <laughs> yeah, I um, listen. I'll shut up. Okay, so I'm gonna split this episode into into two episodes, right? Because I'm already at 47 minutes now. If I start to unpack favorite players of the 70s and 70s uniforms we'll be here for another 45 minutes and that's just going to be too much to listen to in one sitting right so this will be part one i'll end it here thanks thanks for listening dude like i said there are a lot of people that are following the podcast and are saying they sort of like it and so thanks for that because i think i probably suck at it so like i said i'll send you your money but really thanks for listening all i want to do is create an environment where people can Remember the game, share the game, have some fun with it, and yeah, so thanks. You make it possible, and I really appreciate it. If you don't follow me on social and you found me somewhere else, uh, let's see, Twitter, I have a Twitter, and that is at Greatest on Dirt. I think that's how you say it. Instagram is at Greatest Show on Dirt, and then if you're on Facebook, just search Greatest Show on Dirt, right? And other than that, I'll end it here, man. Thanks for listening. This will be part one, 70s baseball. Part two, I'll try to upload in a couple days so right now if it's sunday the november 8th which i'll get this uploaded tonight i might upload part two tonight but no later than tomorrow night which would be monday the 9th so hey thanks guys and until next time i'll catch you later bye